This is a Pivotal Conversations podcast. Hey guys, welcome to the Pivotal Conversations podcast. I am your host, Kyle Trainor, and just some housekeeping before we move forward. Last week we had some issues um, on with iTunes and episode one with Dr. Jordan Shallow being available. Um, as of yesterday, you can listen to it on iTunes, so if you haven't had a chance to go and um, listen to that yet because you couldn't get onto iTunes or couldn't find it, um, it is now available. Um, it's a really, really cool conversation, uh, one that I was extremely excited about to open um, the podcast with with my uh, good friend Jordan. Um, you know, we, we were quite relaxed throughout the conversation, so it's quite easy to go deep with Jordan. Um, so if you haven't checked that out yet, go and check it out. Um, let me know what you, you think. Let me know um, and give us some feedback on the episode. And also, um, you know, as always, if it is something that resonated with you um, and you want to support the podcast, then definitely give it a share. Um, moving on to today's episode. Today's episode is a conversation uh, with Brendan Iambadejo. So Brendan is someone that I met just over a year ago, I think on the same trip that I actually ventured over to LA and met Jordan. Um, so Brendan is an ex-NFL player who, uh, for those of you who aren't familiar with NFL, it's um, American football, so gridiron, and he played uh in the NFL, so as a professional for 10 years, um, playing in three Pro Bowls, winning a Super Bowl ring, so becoming a Super Bowl champion, um, which is, you know, some of the highest accolades you can actually achieve in the sport. Um, since, you know, while, while Brendan was actually playing, he studied an MBA, which really speaks about his character um, of um, and and kind of always wanting to progress and, and taking himself to the next level, which I think... Um, you know, is one of the reasons I'm interviewing him is is honestly when I think of greatness, this guy is what comes to mind. So, um, you know, since leaving the NFL, Brennan has become extremely successful um, in business and playing an integral role in growing Orange Theory Fitness, which is the United States' fastest growing franchise. Um, Brennan was the owner of LA and Bay Area, um, and he now also is playing a large role in the growth in Melbourne. So, um, recently, Orange Theory Fitness has ventured over to Australia, um, and I'm not usually someone who gets involved in group fitness or anything like that. But one thing that I do love about Orange Theory Fitness is that it's definitely science-based um, and they um, place a huge emphasis on uh, tracking. And um, the you know each workout is has a a um, uh, a doctor's board and a health board behind it, and they take you know just over six months to create. So they put a lot, lot of effort into um, the structure of how they run their their um, classes and these kind of things. Um, so it's if you haven't checked them out yet, um, give it a look, um, especially if you're you're from Melbourne. Um, but there's you know there's some in Sydney and some in Brisbane also. Um, but the, the the main reason that I'm excited to bring this episode to you today is because. Brendan is someone that I really hold in the highest regard. Um, he's such an amazing person um, and he really, you know, there's some people in life that you just meet and there's an aura when, you, when you're around them. And when I think, as I said before, when I think about greatness, I think about um, Brendan and, you know, 
I know a lot more about his career, um, obviously, because I have known him and we've been, you know, friends for just over a year now. But um, there's a lot more to Brendan than just, um, you know, business and just um, his success as an NFL and a pro athlete. Um, you know, his the way he carries himself on a on, on a day to day basis and the standards that he keeps for himself. You know, it's one it's it's one thing to set standards, but then there's another to keep them for such a, a sustained and consistent period of time. And um, you know, Brendan has obviously done that for his whole life. Um, you know, whether it's in his relationships, whether it's with his personal growth, whether it's in business, whether it's as a a professional athlete, um, you know, Brendan has um, created standards for himself and sustained them um, with everything he does. Um, and there's a, a topic that, um, and something that I learned from Brendan, not just in him telling me about this topic, but just the way he carries him, himself and actually spending time with him. Um, and it's the way you do one thing is the way you do everything. And we touch we touch on it in the actual podcast, but it's something that I think. Um, you know, I've learned a lot of lessons from doing this and how to prioritize what I do and, and kind of to filter out things that I, I don't necessarily need to do. Um, so I'm really excited for you to guys to um, listen to this episode. Um, a little bit of background on how I know Brendan, um, and this really speaks true to his character as well, is uh, the PT Mastery Program that we run here. Um, well, you know, it's worldwide now, but um, we're based here in Melbourne. We run workshops every 60 days at a space called Creative Cubes. Really, really cool space. Um, but the the moral of the story here is is that um, we had a mutual friend, um, the the owner of Creative Cubes, um, and they put me in touch with Brendan because they heard I was going to the the states. And um, I simply reached out to Brendan and uh, you know thought it'd be really really cool just to spend a day and and you know meet him and. Um, uh, you know, he was so uh, generous with his time. You know, I got to go spend a, ho- a whole day with him. Um, we trained, uh, we hung out, we got some food. Um, and, you know, he really just gave me some great advice um, and, and was very open um, and, and down to earth in, in kind of giving me his time. And, um, you know, he's continued to do that to this day. We still catch up. We still talk regularly. Whenever he's in Melbourne, we head out for dinner. And um, I'll be heading back to LA um, next year uh, to, to get the podcast on the road. And, and that's pretty exciting but also we you know we've got some things in the works over there but you know uh, I can also I can always count that Brendan's going to give me his time and and you know I'm very grateful for that but again this speaks true to his character and I think we touch on this in the podcast where he just talks about um compassion and and um you know values and standards and and it's something that um you know I've learned a lot from him without him having to say too much to me which you know again it speaks to his character and you know he really stands up for what he believes in in every moment and isn't afraid to 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 do that and that's you know there's a it's something that I think is a great lesson for people and and you know the the correlation here is you know Brendan's been successful in everything he has done and the reason that I'm interviewing him um is because of that and I think you know I talk about becoming a high achiever a lot Brendan was a high achiever um and there was a lot of times where things didn't go his way um but it didn't stop him um because it was who he was um, so this is, you know, this is a lesson that we can take away and, and start to implement is that if you want to achieve success, um, you know, the principles remain the same no matter where you do it, um, no matter what you're trying to do it in, whether it's business, whether it's sport, whether it's relationships, um, whatever it is that you're trying to do, the, rep- the principles transfer across. Um, so I hope you enjoy the episode. Um, as always, give us feedback, um, shoot me a message on Instagram, um, let me know what you think. 
Um, if there's anyone you want to hear on the, the podcast or any sub uh, any subjects that you want me to and topics you want me to talk about, um, we're we're going to be start. I'm going to start start doing some um, standalone episodes as well. Um, so just reach out and um, if it does resonate with you and you do enjoy the podcast um, we appreciate any support of sharing or anything like that that is the best possible way that you can support the podcast and uh, make sure that we get plenty of great guests on and also um, we can continue it Um, so I hope you enjoy the episode um, and uh, see you on the other side Man, my pleasure. You're you're far too kind. So thank you for the warm introduction. And also, we're in Melbourne, Australia now as well. So we're looking to take that success from the Bay Area, Los Angeles, and and uh, implant ourselves in Melbourne with the with the locals and bring our our style of fitness over there to the Aussies for sure. Yeah, one hundred percent. I think it's going to be great. Um, cool, man. So uh, I think to get started, um, before we kind of go into um, your NFL career and. And, and that journey and, and the business journey, um, something that we talked about and something that you you kind of left imprinted in my mind was uh, the concept that the way you do one thing is the way you do everything. Um, and not only did you say that to me, but as I've followed you and, and from when I met you, it's something that um, I've seen through your actions. Um, do you want to talk to me about that? And is that something that came to you at, say, like an early age, or is that something that you kind of learned over time the hard way? Yeah, I mean, I think it definitely came with maturity and over time. But um, my dad built into me, it's like, why well, do something wrong when you can do it right? And then I find myself saying the same thing to my kids. Why well, do something wrong when you can do it right? So just take the extra time, do something the right way. And then that kind of leads you to kind of a crossroad, like you could do things right and you can do them good and good is fine. Or you could do things right and you can do them great. So, you know, kind of as you start as you start to establish yourself, it's just a stepping stone. Like first, let's do things the right way. Then let's do them right and let's do them good. And then as we continue to evolve, let's do them right and let's do them great. But, you know, if you're doing something and you don't want to be successful at it, then let's just not do it and let's allocate our time to things that we want to do and we want to do really good and eventually do them great. So I think it definitely came with maturity, but it was, it was definitely instilled into me as a, as a young man. And now as a parent, you know, I find myself saying that to my kids, why do something wrong when you can do it right? And eventually how you do something is eventually going to be how you do everything. So let's just take away the things that we don't necessarily want to do. Yeah. There's things that we have to do kind of just growing up and there's kind of paths that we have to take and paths that we have to follow. But you have to be on that path and that path is going to eventually lead you to success. Then let's do them the right way and let's do them good and then good to great. Yeah. I think that's, I think that's something that's really important and something that I'm kind of grasping as I go on. It's, it's not about doing everything. It's, it's really about picking the things that you want to prioritize um, and anything else is really not wasting your time with it um, because um, if we talk about integrity, right. And it's like, you know, the people you connect with, the ventures you do, anything in re- in regards to um, that side of things, it can really leave an imprint into how people, or I guess the legacy you leave. Right? Is are you a guy? Are you a person of your word? Um, are you doing? Uh, you know, how do people view you, and and what is the legacy you leave behind in regards to the things you are doing? Um, so I think like, you know, there's something that when we obviously had to chat about it, it made me think and it's like, what are the things I'm, am I doing right now that 
uh, I'm not doing to the to the best of my ability or to the level that I would I would say is um, you know the the minimum standard and um, you know it's something that not only by um, you saying it but by also you know obviously when we were training that was one thing as well it's like I was watching you training um, while we were and it's kind of like just that dedication and you can see I guess that something that I, I would also like you to elaborate on is is obviously how in different areas of your life it has been applied right so you're obviously um, a pro athlete to business to parenting and these types of things and do you want to touch on that a little bit yeah, for sure. I think, you know, as, as being an athlete, there's so many more things that we are just beyond an athlete. Like, you know, yeah, I love yeah. astronomy. I love business. I love my kids. I love philanthropy. I love animals. Now there's hobbies. And then there's also things that bring home the bacon. Um, mm -hmm. So you have your hobbies, you have your passions, you have your job, you have family or faith or all these different, you have all these buckets and all these things that, you know, you're going to dedicate and commit your time to. Um, but as an athlete, it was important to me that I had a goal. There's somewhere that I wanted to be, something that I wanted to achieve. And I had to make sure that I respected that goal and I gave it the time that it took for me to be successful. So in anything, if you want to be the greatest at it, it's going to take an, a, a tremendous amount of support. And it's also going to take a tremendous amount of you being selfish and dedicating yourself and your time on that narrow path to that goal. Um, mm. there, there comes a time later as you kind of settle into that and you settle into your greatness where you're able to stay there um, and, and maintain that greatness. And then you can start delving into some other things. But just like you said, it's like you can't do everything really good. Then you're just going to be a jack of all trades. And where's your mm. value? You really at some point you're going to have to specialize and do one thing really great, master that. And then you can start adding more tools to your belt. So I think that's why I was, so, I was able to eventually be successful in the NFL and then take that same desire, dedication and commitment um, that I learned through being a professional athlete and then apply that to business. But, you know, I also apply that to my relationships or my hobbies or being a father or my pets. You know, um, when you say my name or when I when someone says your name, you obviously want certain traits to be associated with who we are so i just always think about that like if you say brendan i am Badejo, or you say the i am Badejo name if you're talking about my cousin my brother my kids i kind of want you to kind of know what you're going to be receiving and saying that name and hopefully it's a person that contributes to society someone that's very compassionate intelligent someone who's also willing to give their time and i think you know under my family name since those traits have kind of been passed down to me through just lineage and lineage over time. And I want to pass that down to my kids um, that there's also a high standard of, of what I want to represent as well. So it happened before me and I want to pass it down, but it's, there's so many different nuances just in life. And it's, it's, it's easy to go about things just being good, but good is really the enemy of greatness. So we have to get away from good. We have to get away from just being the B player eventually to be becoming the A player at the things that we do. And if you're going to be a B at something, once it doesn't serve you anymore, then take that B out and replace it with all the A's. Yeah, for sure. I think, and something that is kind of coming through to me now, why you say that is like, obviously um, what you talked about is like determining your values, right. And, and holding yourself accountable to those values. What, what would say, how do you describe the values that you hold in regards to say greatness? Right. So, um, you know, what, what were they and, and how did you hold yourself accountable to them? Yeah, I mean, I think it just starts with being a, a self-starter. 
like no one's going to say like, hey, I'm going to make you great. You know, it has to start inside yourself. Like, yeah, oh, I yeah, want to yeah. be great. I want to achieve. I want to accomplish something. And then you have to be selfish. You really do have to be selfish and you have to go after it. Um, like I think about you on your path and all the things that you're trying to achieve. You ask me of my time. And of course, you know, I, I have a great affection for you and I respect everything that you're doing and the way that you carry yourself since you represented yourself that way. Um, and you asked something from me, I'm like, hey, I can give that to Kyle because I know where Kyle's going and I know what he's trying to do. So not only do you have to be selfish, selfish, and you have to go out there and, and make ask and make requests and, and be narrow in your lane with your focus and your vision, but then you're also going to need support at some point in time. People are going to be more willing to support you if you, you know, carry and you, you exude that you're trying to accomplish something that's special. Um, so I think um, for me, as, as a kid, I knew I always wanted to achieve. I wanted to accomplish. And I was in the athlete realm. So if you would ask me when I was 10 years old, Brendan, what are you going to do when you grow up? I probably would have told you I'm going to be a professional athlete. Um, that was something I always had my eyes um, set on. I was never confused about that. I didn't know what sport it was going to be because I loved a myriad of different sports. I played from wrestling, basketball, baseball, football, track, um, mountain biking, skateboarding, junior lifeguards, diving. There's so many different sports that I did and I loved them all. Um, but eventually I kind of went the lane that I was good at, but I just knew that there was something bigger than just being good that I wanted to accomplish. And it took dedication, sacrifice, commitment, being selfish in those goals. And then of course the support of my family and my friends as well. So I couldn't have done it by myself. Yeah, for sure. Awesome. I think, you know, and initially with what you said as well, I think that's one thing that I, you know, I had this question asked to me the other day um, and it was, okay, so why do you give people so much of your time? Um, and I guess this is something that I've learned from all, I, I have this thing, man, like I'm just like anyone who I see is, and, and in my eyes is this kind of um, great person, right? And that's who I try to mould myself on is is these people that really have compassion, right? And that's uh, are wanting to give back and, and are, are really generous in terms of their time and their effort and these kind of things, but also have these strong values and don't compromise who they are as a person for anyone um, and, and those values. And I think, um, you know, as I said, that's something that I, I got from you straight away and I obviously took a, a liking to it. Um, and I know we kind of, we, 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 we text and, and chat here or there, but, um, you know, there's, as I said, it was that, that one thing when, when, you know, going back to the initial question is the way you do one thing is the way you do everything. And, um, the values and this kind of thing is something that I've really took away from just meeting you once and the way you carry yourself, but also the way you are with other people. Um, is something that, you know, even just for seeing you work with your team at Orange Theory, um, I took a whole heap out of that experience as well, just the way you deal with them in, in um, obviously, you treat them really well, um, but you're also just a person with them. You're not a, a, a boss in a sense, um, but the way you carry yourself sets that um, sets that standard um, uh, for them as well. So that's something that I, I kind of – I looked at and um, I really tried to mold myself on the back of it as well, um, which was, you know, I think it's important, especially when you're trying to be a leader. And something that I say, and I'd love to get your opinion on this as well, is that um, everybody should be trying to be a leader because I think when you become a leader, there's that responsibility that comes with being a leader. Um, and if I think that can help a lot of people. Yeah, you know, I think that um, 
you know, I want to be the leader. You kind of see those pictures of the leader that's leading the charge and they're leading from the front. And then you kind of see the picture of the leader that's on the back of the sled and everybody's yeah. in the front leading the charge. I, I want to lead the charge myself. Um, but yeah, you know, you want to, you want to give people the responsibility to cultivate thought and to, um, to be able to achieve and accomplish and to spark ideas of different things. And then, you know, maybe they fail. And then there's a learning lesson there that you can go through with them. And that might be um, more of a learning lesson than somebody leading and succeeding. Cause maybe mm. they're not, they're not learning as much. Sometimes your biggest successes are through your failures. And of course, every success happens after multiple failures, right? So um, we want to, you know, with our staff, we want we want to be able to give them the autonomy to be able to go to, le to lead things, but also just to have the thought process of, hey, I want to start something. And what are the phases? What are the steps I have to go through? My daughter, she's going to be a freshman in high school, and they're doing a little bit of algebra right now. And I tell yeah. her that algebra is so important because it teaches you the steps to be successful in a problem. Now, the math doesn't necessarily matter, but there's certain things you need to do. There's certain um, orders of operations that you need to do when you're doing algebra, multiplication, and all these other things. And those are just steps of leading yourself up to success. Have a goal. Have something you want to achieve and you want to accomplish. And what's the first stepping stone to getting to that goal? And then ultimately, how do you finish and, and accomplish that goal? So I always tell her, hey, stick to your algebra. It's so important. Um, and the same thing with our staff. It's like if there's something that they want to achieve or accomplish and it's inside the organization or outside of it, it's like, OK, what's what's the goal that we want to accomplish? And then what are the little steps along the way? And then we always talk about celebrating the little victories. When you climb that first step, give yourself a pat on the back. When you get halfway there, then let's take a moment out. Let's celebrate and um, take some time to smell the roses and say, hey, we got halfway there. Now let's finish this last half and really get the job done. And then sometimes we don't get the job done. Maybe we only get halfway or we get a quarter of the way. And then we have to re-tinker and come back with a new strategy, a new plan. But ultimately, you're going to learn more, like what worked, what didn't work, and then how are you going to do it differently the next time. So there's so many learning lessons to be um, to be um, learned through the course of our failures. And sometimes our successes don't give us the same um, game plan as, as our failures do. Yeah, 100%. It's something that I've actually implemented recently myself, um, the kind of reward system, um, but more of a process orientated thing. So, um, you know, month to month, week to week, you know, and each time. So the, you know, a week represents a certain reward, uh, a month represents like a certain reward and then say like a quarter. Okay, if I if I get everything I want for the quarter and I hit these goals, then, you know, I get to spend an extra week in Bali when I head there. Um, in, in a month's time um, and that extra week is you know outside of work just relaxing these types of things and um, you're right because it's not just the reward and oh you know I want to do it for that reason but it teaches you to all right what do I need to actually do and it makes you get you know a bit clearer on the numbers and um, gives you that kind of quantitative business mindset of okay if I do x and this occurs then i can you know i actually have the freedom to to spend that extra time or you know reward myself financially with the, the you know that um that reward yeah and um, i know exactly what you're talking about because we had this conversation before and you achieving your goals and you, you were stacking them and reaching your goals and you're like man i'm gonna get some extra time because i'm really trending ahead or i'm hitting the goals that i set out for myself so i know exactly what you're talking about yeah yeah 100 um i want to go back to um obviously your journey to becoming a pro athlete um very often i think 
as well, you know, as someone who who was never a pro athlete, but also for the people out there listening, that we underestimate a little bit what goes into that, um, and and you know the work that goes into that. Um, I want to talk about the mindset side of things because for me, I I kind of look at you as someone who would never have taken no as an answer. Um, and do you want to touch on the mindset side of it and also your journey to becoming a pro athlete and some of the lessons you may have learned? Um, you know, on that journey? Yeah, I think, you know, along the way, I've always been an underdog. So um, on your way to a pro athlete to play professional football, for example, in the United States, you play high school and you get offered a scholarship to play, you know, division one college, like where everybody's watching. Well, nobody offered me a scholarship. So I had to go to junior college and um, I played in junior college for a year and then more eyes were on me and eventually I was offered a scholarship. Then the Mm. next stepping stone is to play in college, be really successful, and then you get drafted to an NFL team. So I was successful in college. Guess what? I wasn't drafted, so nobody wanted me, you know. So eventually I made it onto a team, or at least I was invited to um, be on a team. And not once, twice, but three times um, those invites resulted in, Brendan, no thank you. Um, You're not good enough to play on our football club, but, you know, uh, we'll come back and see how you've improved next year and figure it out on your own, what you're going to do the next year. So three years, it took me retinkering and, and um, trying to figure out my strategy and my game plan as to how I was going to get onto an NFL roster and play a season. Um, so it, it was quite difficult for me and success is never linear anyways. And like I mentioned, we learned so much from our failure. So just the mindset for me, it wasn't so much that I wasn't going to take no for an answer. It's like when somebody does say yes, what am I going to do to make myself more attractive to make myself smarter, uh, stronger, faster, a better teammate, a better person in the locker room, a better employee, a better person for the organization. So um, being ready for when someone does say yes. So you actually have to go back to the drawing board and you have to work. Like, why wasn't I good enough the first time? Um, So you really have to do a deep analysis, a deep dive as to what you could do differently. So it took me three tries. Um, Some people, it you know, you're a first round draft pick, you come, you make lots of money, you have a good career and everything's, you know, roses. But for me, it was never that. I was always an underdog um, through the NFL, through college, to get into college. Um, And that's just the life that I'm always going to have. I'm always going to have to be a hard worker. So I think for me, more than anything, um, it just took laser focus, really had to be focused. And the first times, I I guess I wasn't 100% focused or teams didn't see the talent in me. And I had to give them a reason to say yes. Um, rather than me saying, no, um, um, uh, I just had to show them a different side of me that they didn't see yet. And I think that really applies in the workplace today as well. I look at our staff, we have 350 employees and I know the ones that are going to rise. I can tell, you know, within working with them for the first day, I can tell which ones are going to rise. Um, but then that leaves a conversation, you know, maybe that's 10%, maybe that's 35 of our 350. Um, what are the other, um, 315 employees thinking, do they want to rise? Do they want to make someone say, yes, you're going to be our next manager. You're going to be our next coach. Um, And there's a ton of opportunity there because we're looking for talent all the time. And I think employees are employers are looking for talent all the time and we're always looking. And so your employee, your employer is always looking at you. We're always looking. The top is always um, the the decision makers at the top. They're always looking down at the talent pool below them to see who's going to rise um, and so for me, for whatever reasons, my first couple of years, I didn't show that, but eventually I was able to figure that out with maturity and just laser light focus and just rededicating myself every time. 
Yeah, 100%. And I think, so, so, like, so for me, right, I look at that and I'm like, okay, so there's someone like yourself who naturally was always going to push and always going to make the decision to um, keep pursuing the dream, keep pursuing what, what it is that you wanted. What do you, is that like, so obviously there's a lot that goes into that. It's not something that you're born with, right? So it's it's obviously the, the environment plays a massive role in that. Um, you know, and I look at, say, people that I work, um, deal with on a regular basis. So, and, you know, a lot of people that are listening to this are going to be personal trainers starting their own business. Um, you know, one thing that I've realized in business is that there is always going to be hardship. It's not... Um, if but when right so um, you know it's something that I pride myself on as well like I'm not going to quit I'm going to keep going and and it's you know it's something that um, I've built over time is this resilience I guess um, what do you put yours down to I think you know if you strip away everything kind of what's inside your heart who are you what what do you stand for what do you believe in um, what do you want to accomplish um, mm-hmm. So you could take away the Super Bowl rings, you can take away all the franchises, all the orange theories that we have. Um, what's inside my heart is Brendan Armadejo, the person, the human being, what's inside your heart, you know, so I think, you know, I can repeat success at this juncture. Um, because like you mentioned, I'm going to work hard, I'm going to dedicate myself, I'm going to re- represent myself in a very um in a very uplifting manner, a very positive manner every time. What's the what's the nonverbal communication like when somebody meets you? Are you smiling? Are you proud? Are you holding your chest up? How do you carry yourself? What's your energy? Is your energy contagious and infectious in a positive way or is it a negative way? There's so many ways that we communicate that aren't verbal communication. It's posture and body language. So I think that, you know, if you strip away all the things that I've already accomplished, I think I could repeat success just from the hard work, the dedication, the desire, the goals that I have, um, the way that I communicate verbally and non-verbally. I'm going to represent myself every single time I have an opportunity to. Um, and not just when people are looking, but when people aren't looking, I still hold myself to a very high standard. So I think there's so many intangibles and people kind of underestimate their power and their value. Um, if you kind of look at it as as, um, as a whole and that we're not that people are always looking, but as if people always are looking, that um, there's so much more you can accomplish and so much more that you can do um, just based on that, the way that you carry yourself and your positive outlook and mindset. Yeah, uh, so there's something that pops to mind when you when you talk about that as well. And I think some, one thing that a lot of people don't probably, and something that I didn't, um, you know, when I was a little bit younger is that stuff not only affects the people around you, but it's also, you know, inside of you as well and internally, like, um, you know, when you're say being a fraud or when you're not living up to these values that you've set um and every time that you make a decision not to do that you might be doing it unconsciously but it is affecting you and it will affect say the future um or you know the you know what how you feel tomorrow and these types of things i think it's it's really important and that accountability side of it that you you know I always ask myself that as well it's like you know who do i want to you know who am i and who do, how do i want to be remembered um, and then it's not when people are looking that it matters. It's probably more when people aren't looking, um, because you know, right. And it's like, I think that's the, the kind of, um, the side of it where 
it matters most in, is is inside of you, right? And and how you feel and how you view yourself as well can be super important. Um, I want to venture into something that um, I think is really inspiring from my point of view was, um, so, you know, we fast forward, you're in the NFL and you decide to study, um, which isn't something that is, I would say, common, obviously, um, for a pro athlete. Um, and do you want to tell us a little bit about that? And I mean, the reason initially why you wanted to, to do that um, and then a little bit about how that helped you transition into business um, after your career. Yeah, I mean, I think it's like a multi-sided answer. It's a die um, for sure. I think that I, I was, you know, when I started studying, I was already in my 10th year of professional football. I was maybe 33 years old. And while guys were going home and playing football video games or video games and whatnot, I was going home and I started pursuing my MBA, my master's in business. Um, yeah. Part of it was that um, I still had things that I had to accomplish in the NFL. I didn't want a Super Bowl yet, even though I played in one. So there were still some things I was trying to accomplish in the NFL, but um, I knew that the transition was coming out of the NFL into what my next career would be. So part of it was that I'd mastered the NFL. There were still goals to accomplish, but there was nothing that I, there's nothing more I could do inside the building. Um, but it afforded me some time outside of the building because I was already kind of a master of my craft and what I was doing. So um, I'd go home and instead of hanging out with the guys or going and playing video games and stuff like that, I was like, well, how do I continue to improve myself? And when is my NFL career going to end? I don't know when it's going to end. It just coincidentally ended the same year that I graduated from business school and the same year I won a Super Bowl and the same year I signed my Orange Theory deal. It's a really good year, 2013. Um, that's a massive yeah, but that's really how it started is just that like I would go home after practice and I had free time and I'm like, well, the person that I am, you know, an idle mind is the devil's playground. So I didn't want to be idle. How could I continue to improve myself? It's kind of that that stroke, that constant struggle of wanting to always improve. And I think a lot of people that are successful or goal setters, they always want to be working and improving at something. And there's nothing more I can do in football as an individual, as a team, yes, I still had more goals, but as an individual, there's nothing more I could do. So, you know, guys that are playing, I don't even encourage them to do that, their first contract. So it's your second contract that you'd maybe start looking into doing some of these things. It's maybe your fifth or sixth year into the NFL. Coincidentally mm -hmm. and unfortunately, the average career is is um, four years. So by the time you're ready to be in a position to better yourself, your career is already over and then it's too late anyways, because you had to focus on your first contract and, and getting your second contract. Most guys don't make it to the second contract. So it's kind of a conundrum in a sense, whereas I played for like four contracts, you know, playing 13 years. So time afforded me that maturity afforded me that and then really mastering what I was doing and the ability to put my attention into other things that would continue to sharpen me. So it's not the player's fault that their careers typically last four years. It's just the name of the game. The NFL is a, re yeah, a revolving yeah. door. Not for long is kind of the uh, abbreviation we use for NFL. Yeah, for sure. Um, I think, you know, something that uh, a lesson kind of out of that for the, the people that are listening as well is that constant progression. Um, and, I mean, I, I get this kind of unease when I feel like I'm stagnant. So it's kind of, I think it's a similar type of feeling, right? Like, you know, once you've mastered a certain craft or you've hit a certain goal, like, 
unless you've said another one or you you know you're learning in a sense like um there's a, a few guys I've been listening to of late which is is kind of like this this flow of kind of uh, the ability to learn and constantly progress and and obviously when you master a craft it's you know almost having something outside of that to continue or at least keep your mind um and and you know your yourself learning as well is that it's almost like a fulfillment thing right so um that's the way i i i I talk talk about it in my head you know i have uh, my business and these kind of things but i love learning about the mind like i'll read two books a day um you know not in terms of the whole book of course but i'll do two massive sessions of reading a day outside of my business that keeps my my mind um kind of uh learning and and it helps me progress and i actually feel when i don't do that so that's one of my anchors that i get this kind of feeling of unease and i guess it you know fit for yourself in in the way you explain that it could have been a little bit of that with a few other things as well yeah and i think i I like what you're saying because you you think about you have all your time and there's a pie chart of, of your time and kind of like in my pie chart there's kind of four silos four categories four slices of the pie there's me time, and that's what you're talking about outside of your business. You want to spend time learning and growing, and that's time that you need for you. And while that segment is probably the smallest segment in the pie, but it, it's it's the segment where you need to be selfish, and it's arguably the most important segment because when you're your best, then you can do everything else that's inside that pie chart the best, right? So even though like my me time might be freaking 10% of my day, that 10% is very important that I can be a better father, a better husband, a better businessman, um, a better, you know, philanthropist. And that little bit of time that I have for me is very important. So I think that's one thing that a lot of people forget when they're um, so busy on their goals with their business and take some time to read a book, observe nature, meditate, work out. It's your ment- mental wellness and your mental wellness space that's that's so important that'll set you up for success for everything else that you're doing. Yeah, I think it really sets people up for long-term success, right? Like, um, you know, when people talk about motivation, having that little slice of the pie that you were talking about that is your time and that you enjoy doing and and really kind of gives you that, as I said, sense of fulfillment outside of your business can almost make um, the business grow long-term. So you're not getting sick of it. You don't feel like you're working yourself into the ground. You don't have much, you know, and then you're getting to this place where it's kind of um, – it's becoming repetitive in a sense. Yeah. Bruce, Bruce joined us. I know, you know, Bruce, Kyle. <laughs> hey man, how are you? Good to uh, see what's you. Going on? What's happening? What's happening? So we're recording, so we got to stay to I the game it. plan, but yeah. we're good. Dude. I'm, I'm in Bruce's office I'm right now. Actually. Just, <laughs> but yeah, I, I think, you know, we touched on it. It'd be very important for us to touch on it um, because just setting yourself for self up for success. And that's why very early on in the podcast, I mentioned it's like you got to be selfish. And while it's not selfish 24 seven, it's that one little bit, that little bit of time in your day where you need to be selfish and focused on you. And then that'll just open you up and give you exponential power to be better at everything else that you do. Yeah, for sure. Um, cool. So let's talk about Orange Theory and your journey with, um, you know, uh, from the very start and, and how you got into it um, and kind of, you know, where you've taken it as well. And, and um, you know, I know right now it's, you know, there's over 1,200 uh, locations in 26 countries. So um, when you first started, there was, I think, only around 50 locations. Yeah, it's so kind of one funny. of those things like it, it, when you meet your soulmate or you see something, you just know that you just know it's going to be amazing. 
Like yeah. I was an early adopter. And when I first, um, what happened was um, on February 3rd, 2013, I played in the Super Bowl and we won Ravens versus the San Francisco 49ers. Um, on February 6th, my wife forced me to go to Orange Theory. And I was like, man, I've been playing football for all these weeks. I just won a Super Bowl. I got this imaginary crown on my head. I don't want to do anything. I just want to lay at home and relax. And she's like, well, if you don't go to Orange Theory with me, I'm going to take away the thing that's most important to our relationship, and that's food. You're going to have to cook your own dinner. I was like, okay, let's go. So I went in there. Um, I took my first class, and I was like, wow, this is amazing. Let me learn a little bit more about the business. I didn't know at the time that it was a franchise. I didn't know how many locations. And for me, like, I've, I've, as, as tough as my road has been, I also had the best luck of anybody that I know. So I was in Fort Lauderdale, Florida, and the headquarters were upstairs from where I took the first class. So I'd become a member, and slowly but surely, eventually, I made my way up to the headquarters, and they welcomed me with open arms. And there was 50 locations at the time, and I was able to secure Los Angeles and the um, Bay Area. LA is where I went to college. The Bay Area is where I grew up. So they were both home to me, and I was able to... Um, with my two business partners, bring Orange Theory Fitness to LA in the Bay Area and be a very early adopter in the company in 2013. And um, But I just knew there was just a recipe for success written all over it, um, bringing fitness to the masses um, and then bringing tech and combining it with fitness. Nobody had really been doing it, especially the way that they're doing it. So I'm super proud to be a part of the company. The company's evolved tremendously since um, I've been here, not because of me. I think I've helped push the company, but the company was going to be on an amazing track with or without Brendan Adam Badejo. But um, I'm glad that I was on the train. And now we have 24 locations. We're in um, we're on two continents right now, right now. And eventually we'll be in three countries with my ownership group, West Coast Fitness. So we're rocking and rolling. We're doing really well. Yeah. And now you're in Melbourne. So um it's uh you know i think that's how we ended up getting connected uh i think yeah, it was with Toby. 12 months ago right right now yeah um but i think before we actually kind of move on from that but i also want to talk about the tech side of it because i think when i um you know obviously orange theory is and it, it's it's only just starting to to become what a uh, the the beast that it is in the united states in australia right now but um the tech side of it and and how much effort goes into that back end um, in regards to group fitness, because um, you know, obviously, group fitness is this—it's—it's it's this model, right? That can be done so wrong, right? But I think the thing that was for me that when we started chatting about Orange Theory was that everything is starting to be done right, and and the tech that goes into it, and the effort on the back end, um, is what was really impressive. Yeah, I think you know, from the technology side. Just on the fitness side alone, you know, you have tech, tech on the sales and upside. You have tech on the fitness side. I think on the fitness side, it's really special is we have a medical advisory board. So everything that we say, it's been proven through science and through medicine. Um, we're, we're not going to bring any false information. We really test and we study and we trial everything that we do. So we're big on EPOC which is excess post-exercise oxygen consumption. It's your mm -hmm. ability to burn fat post-workout up to 36 hours. So we want to deliver that through the course of every workout. We don't say that we're high-intensity interval training or HIIT training. We say we're heart rate-based interval training because everybody wears a heart rate. We also have the ability to assign you um, over the course of time your own personalized max heart rate, where in the past you'd have to do a VO2 max or a stress test. We can actually do that in the studio with the uh, metrics and the data that we get. And um, we have two cardiologists on our staff. We have um, we have uh, a nutritionist that's this on our staff. 
We have uh, masters of exercise and physiology on our staff, Rafael Kamana out of San Diego State. We have physical therapists, Aaron Santiso. So we have so many medical professionals and fitness professionals on our medical advisory board. We make sure the workouts are healthy. We make sure the science is proven. Um, and then it takes a thousand human hours to design one month's work full of templates. So, you know, obviously it's around 30 days in a month. We put an hour of human hours into 30 days of delivered workouts to our customers. So it's just we're so advanced. We're like light years ahead of the fitness industry. The only um, fitness concept in the game that does personalize max heart rate. We're not using um, once you've been in the studio and you have certain um a certain amount of workouts in the queue. We're no longer using generic max heart rates, which, you know, there's American Heart Association, there's uh, the Carbonin method, there's different methods that different companies use. We actually use your own personalized max heart rate after you have a certain amount of workouts in the queue, which is very special. So um, I love that we're all, always innovating, we're always pushing science and fitness. And at the end of the day, we see fitness as a lifestyle, we see it as a marathon. It's not something that we want you just to come in and do once a week or twice a week or every day for a month. We want to improve your lifestyle. We want to add more life so you can play with your kids, see your grandkids someday, run your best mile, lift your best weights, but over the course of a lifetime, not in a short period of time. So super proud of, of where the company is going and what we've done in the last 10 years, even though I've only been with it for the last six years. Yeah, for sure. And as I said, I think that's the massive point of difference that I've seen. Um, so, you know, for anyone who's in Australia, check it out because it is really a great concept. And I, I think it's it's going to do really, really well over here, um, just purely off the back of that um, in itself. Um, so there's two questions that we want to finish with. And, and these are two questions that I'm going to ask everyone um, as we get through um, the podcast. But the first one is, is in your darkest moments, and or your greatest time of hardship what was it that kept you going yeah i think it really goes back to something that we touched on earlier is that you know at the time when i went through my biggest hardship was um when i was cut three times from the nfl because i was starting to think like hey maybe this isn't for me um but the more i'd watch tv and i'd see other guys that didn't have the capabilities that i had the more it made me want to train and the more i believed in myself so i was very fortunate and lucky to have um a strong family support with my brother, my mom, my sister, and they kept telling me to keep pushing, keep doing it. And my brother helped me financially. So that was lucky that, you know, I had somebody that, that was in, in that position. But for me, I just knew inside of myself, I knew inside my heart that it was something I could achieve and something that I could accomplish. So it really, it's like what was inside of my heart. And I really had to take a deep dive and look at myself. What can I do differently? How can I present myself? So um, somebody's going to want to say yes, instead of saying no. Um, and so I think about, you know, just my my overall kind of moral compass um, in being an athlete. But, you know, I'm, I'm one of the athletes, one of the very first athletes that spoke on marriage equality. And I was one of the um, also one of the athletes that helped get that pushed and passed um, in the United States um, in, in the state of Maryland uh, in particularly. So I thought, you know, I had a great moral compass. So I was going to represent a company in a very good way. Um, the standards and the way that I was going to uh, carry myself were going to be top of the line. And, and these are things that, that from the top down, the leadership staff, they're looking at these things, you know, now where do I need to, to develop myself? Okay. I needed to become a better football player, let's say. So then I had to practice and do certain things. So I just, I had a, I had a deep belief in myself and I wasn't going to give up, but um, 
yeah, when, when things get dark and they get uncomfortable, you have to be comfortable and happy with who you are, regardless of what it is that you're trying to accomplish and what you're trying to achieve. And I was able to sit into that, into that uncomfortable place and really climb day by day and, and scratch and crawl and get myself out of that place. I had no money. I was living with my brother. I was asking for things from him. So I was humble enough to be able to ask, right? Some people, um, they're, they're not willing to ask. Um, and you have to make those asks. Just like you asked me, hey, Brendan, I want to do a podcast. Can you come on? And of course, I was gracious with my time because of the person that you are, I was willing to give to you. Um, so uh, there's a lot of different things, but I think like you have to go inside of yourself. You have to be with, be happy with who you are as a person. What changes do you need to make? That selfish time that you need to, to tinker with yourself and then go out there and, and be your best you and, and scratch and crawl and dedicate and commit yourself to reaching those goals. And I think a lot of successful, successful entrepreneurs have been in that place, whether it's Jeff Bezos or um, some of these other, you know, billionaires that were kind of on their last leg. Um, they had an under a deep underlying belief in themselves that they what they had was something special. Yeah, there's a quote, um, you know, when you when you while you were talking that come to mind, and it's something that I I just consciously think about this, but it's um, uh, someone who is peaceful in solitude is either a wild beast or a god. Um, and it, it just explains that to me. And that's something that I think, you know, continuously is that when you can, you know, you don't always have to be doing it, but when it, times get tough and, and um, the chips aren't falling your way, can you can you kind of spend some time with yourself and really um, not just beat yourself up, but thrive in that environment and use that to, um, I guess, catapult the, the next drive, the next kind of move and, and um, you know, take that next step. So, um yeah, man, I, I think personally, right, like I think, you know, just having this conversation and what this podcast is all about is having these conversations with people, um, not only that just have success, but um, have this kind of this mentality and what got them there as well is that, you know, along the journey, everybody's going to face these, the hardship. And, and it's really the, only the people that can overcome that, that have this success and, and really get what they want in life. And um, I mean, you know, as I said, there's no perfect guest to have, um, or, you know, first guest to have um, uh, other than yourself, of course. Um, so the, the next question is, is, is there a conversation in your life that changed it all? Um, and this is something for me, and the re I'll explain why I asked this question and why I'm going to ask everyone, because for me, conversations um, are the root of all innovation and they can really transform someone's life, give them a new business idea, help them overcome an issue. Is, is there one that kind of stands out for you that you've had? Yeah, and then um, I, I think that when I was young, when I was a very young boy, and there's things that you kind of didn't want to do, but you kind of knew you had to do them. Um, a lot of us have kind of that procrastinator mindset in us. You're like, oh, I'll put it off. I'll do it later. I'll do it later. When I was very young, I built this, this a little countdown in my head. I'd count down from three. I'd count down from five. And I'd be like, all right, five, four, three, two, one. Let's go take out the trash. Five, four, three, two, one. Let's go do the laundry. Five, four, three, two, one. Let's clean the bathroom. And so that made me a non-procrastinator. And I think those are just such, such simple little things that we can do. All right, five, four, three, two, one, let's go to the gym. Five, four, three, two, one, let's be on time to go somewhere. So I think I built that in very early. And, and for whatever reason, that's the first thing that came to mind when I thought about what were the conversations you had with yourself. And it's on the, on the smallest scale. 
but ultimately it's all the little things um, that people look at in success. There's not a lot of ways to be successful, even though success is not linear, but there's a ton of ways to make mistakes. Whether while the path to success, while it's it's windy, it's still rather narrow, but everything else outside of that path, however windy it is, that's all failure as on the other side on the other side of, of um, that path. So there's so many ways to make mistakes. Um, I think that when a big conversation I had my, with myself was when I had the opportunity to get into Orange Theory. And I was thinking to myself, well, how deep do I want to dive into Orange Theory? How much Orange Theory do I want to do? When I walked in, how did I feel when I walked in? And then when I walked out of there, I thought this was the most amazing place. And I thought it was going to be a super huge success. Then when it came to sitting down and writing, um, writing up my contract as to how much Orange Theory I wanted to do, did I want a small piece of a pie or did I want a big piece of a pie? And so I sat there. I'm like, wow, I don't know anything about business. I do have a business degree, but I don't have any practical application to it. Do I want to just bite off everything that I can chew and really go for it and hit a home run and really get uncomfortable and dive into this thing? Or do I just want to do one or two or three Orange Theories? Um, what I decided is the goal would be to do 50 or do, do anywhere from 30 to 50 is what I ended up signing up for, having nothing, having no experience in franchising. Um, just my education, my background in this um, unrelinquishing desire to be successful in this space. And now the goal is to do 100. So it started out in the 30s to 50s, and now the goal is to do 100. And I'm so glad that I decided to do more rather than less. Um, and that was a big conversation that I had with myself and just what were my finances at the time. I had this little chunk of money that I had saved up from when I was playing. Um, and I've made more in Orange Theory in five years than I made in my entire 13 football, 13 year football career. So um, it was the best decision, the best business decision that I ever made. Of course, I didn't make it lickety split. I planned it out and drew up business models and proposals and looked at aggressive uh, performers and conservative performers and we outperformed all of those. So um, that was a conversation that I had with myself and I'm so glad that I did it. And um, I'm super happy in this place where I am right now. And while we're, you know, we're pushing up on 30 locations by the end of the year, actually a year from now, we'll have over 40 locations and we're checking on our way to get to 100 locations. So um, in your previous question, we kind of talked about like getting uncomfortable and being in that uncomfortable place. And if you're successful and you've never been uncomfortable, then guess what? You're underachieving. If you're yeah. successful and you've been uncomfortable, then you're achieving and even overachieving. But no matter what you do, we talk about good. Um, and we talk about great. So getting to good and then going to great, a lot of people can stay at good and never get uncomfortable. And it's not in everybody's DNA to want to get uncomfortable. And it's not in everybody's DNA to want to be great. But there are people that want to be great and I always want to achieve greatness. So um, I'm sure there'll be another time somewhere along this road of um, franchising entrepreneurship where I get uncomfortable again. And that's what it's going to take to be able to get to the next level of greatness. So if you're just cruising, that's fine. If some people just want to cruise and they just want to be good, but some people want to be great and it's going to take a whole lot of uncomfortable um, to get to greatness for sure. Yeah, I think, um, you know, something that I've been focusing on is kind of being okay with being in this overstretched position where I'm always, um, you know, I've always overstretched in some way, shape or form, but it's finding that, that kind of point where it's not too much, but it's also the right amount 
um, but and really becoming comfortable in that and make, trying to make that a constant. So, um, you know, apart from when I reward myself and have these little kind of spurts of time off, it's kind of like, okay, well, what's the next step? What's happening now? And then also on the back end, and I think something that, um, you know, a, a kind of message that's kind of come out of this this chat um, along the way is that resilience that you build and, and really kind of that legacy of like who you are as a person, who you are within and how you can use that in not the good times, but also, but more importantly, the the tough times and the times where you probably need to dig deep and you need to have those conversations and you really need to, to look inside and, and use that to use that time and, and that, that effort of, of kind of going inside to um, allow you to be strong in those tough times. So, um, man, I want to say thank you for your time. Thanks for coming on the podcast, the first episode. Um, I think we did okay. <laughs> um, nah, it was good, man. And um, as I said, there's there's probably no guests that I, I would I, I could have um, pictured being uh, as perfect for this first episode as you, and especially for the message that I'm trying to send. Um, you know, the the name of this podcast is actually Pivotal Conversations for for personal trainers. Um, but I'm sure there's going to be people outside of the personal training industry that listen to it as well. So, um, just want to say thank you for your time, man, and um, I look forward to the next time we get to catch up. Yeah, thanks for having me on. And the next one we do, we'll have to do it in person for sure. Yeah, 100%. Next time you're in Oz or I'm over in the states, we can uh, we can make it happen. Absolutely. All right. Thanks, Brendan. Right. Thanks, Kyle.